our lives. You know, whatever's happening in your life, it's, if it's negative, there's so many. This is why we come to church all the time. Because not just one answer. You know, sometimes the answer is to declare something in authority and faith. That's right. Right? But sometimes there's going to need to be intercession made. There's going to need to be a supply of the Spirit brought to that situation if it's going to turn. Amen. And thank God it can turn. Hallelujah. Anybody facing anything right now? Or someone close to you, they've got a situation needs to turn. Health, mind, family, job, finances. Come on, we're all there. We're all, you know, in a place where this is so relevant for us day by day. Amen. Uh, But as you, the more you'll allow yourself to be interested in these things uh, and available to God, you're going to find Him inviting you into places and into situations that you're totally removed from. It wouldn't matter to your life if that situation turned or didn't turn. But God cares about that situation. He cares about that circumstance. And as we, uh, if we haven't, we'll get to it, you know, that scripture in Ezekiel where it, it says, the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for someone who would stand in the gap and take up the hedge, amen, and and make up that place that the Lord wouldn't have to destroy the land, that He could do something about it. Now, again, does that make sense to you about why that would be? You know, a lot of people are are still bound by this thought, well, if God wants to do something about a situation, He's God, isn't He? Why can't He just do it? You need to know the answer to that. And the answer goes back to the earth He gave to the children of men. He told Adam that he was was to have dominion on the earth. And that's a sovereign God setting it up that way. And then Adam, of course, turned that authority over to the devil. But because Jesus did what he did, thank God, that for those of us who are in him, we're living in a fallen world dominated by the devil, but we are not. We're in the world, but not of the world. I'm in this world, but I am not under His dominion. I'm not under His authority. I'm under God's dominion and God's authority. So in that sense, not globally, you understand, but in a certain sense in my life and in the areas of authority that pertain to me and the kingdom, Satan's got no dominion over that. But I've been restored. That was what I was going to get to. I've been basically restored back to that place that God put Adam in in the beginning. And what that is, is that's not God going to just do everything for me. But I have been restored to my place of dominion and authority on the earth. And the, one of the ways I use that dominion on the earth is I invite God to intervene and move into the situations and circumstances on the planet. Amen. Because I'm an earthling. And I have that right. And so by doing that, God gets involved with us. Decades and decades ago, Brother Hagin quoted a, uh, a, uh, I think he was, um, well, he was quoting a pastor. He was quoting, he was reading after in a theology book, training himself and learning. and And the theologian said, it really seems by what we know and understand that God seems limited in what he can do in the earth by a man's prayer life. 
Why this is, we don't know. Now, when Brother Hagin read that, he said, well, we ought to know. We ought to just not understand something but not know why. We ought to. And that's when he got to digging and the Holy Ghost gave him revelation about Genesis and Adam's, God's plan for Adam and man in giving him dominion. So listen, don't invite undue hardship un, unwittingly, unknowingly into your life. Don't, don't leave open an avenue for tragedy to touch your life and your kids and your family because you just trust that God's God and you love God and He's just going to intervene for you. We have our part to play. Amen. Amen. And uh, praise God. You can see here, look at this verse in, in this context. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. Well, what is implied here if we interject the idea, what if they don't pray? Ain't nothing turning because there's no supply of the Holy Spirit being brought to that situation. So again, you know, uh, we're going to go a definite different direction. But again, just to touch very briefly on the fact that we need to, Jesus said, count the cost. And people need to count the cost of not praying. People need to count the cost of never developing their spiritual life because they're just too busy with natural things. They're not bad, but they're just too busy. That's the biggest thing probably that most of us face is keeping that in balance. That we don't let extracurricular activities and children and just life and busyness just choke out all the time and we don't have anything left to devote to our spiritual development. That alone can be deadly and life-threatening. It doesn't have anything to do with, well, I thought God loved me. He does, love doesn't have anything to do with it, sweetheart. We have our part to play in these things. And uh, so, praise God, I really like this, that, that we are to bring our supply of prayer. And as we do that, things turn. Amen. So now go over with me to Isaiah 43. And I want, to, I want to talk to you some more about intercession. I just really feel like because the church has been such, I don't mean this church, okay? I'm just talking about the church world. That we've, we've really not been the praying church that we should have been. Amen? And I think a lot of us have, have unwittingly, again, it's not a criticism, we become so confident in all of our natural crutches that we've, we would never say this consciously, but we don't believe we need to pray that much. And uh, because we have, you know, a $10,000 credit limit, you know, uh, or I have a great health plan, or I'm young. Or whatever. Amen. And I just promise you, you, me, we're all. The storms of life come to all of us. Right. And every single one of us here before long are going to face a situation that none of our crutches are going to be big enough. Yeah. Amen. And there's going to be places that we come to in life that only spiritual skillfulness 
will get you on the other side of it. Only that. And apart from that, there's going to be loss. There's nothing to be afraid of. It just means if I'm not after it, I need to get after it. Right? And so Isaiah 43, looking here at verse number 25 and 26, God says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out your transgressions for mine own sake. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? Why does God forgive me? He does it for his sake. He's so eager to get past your sin issue so he can enjoy you. That's exactly right. And yet, so many times we're still hung up on our sin issue. Amen. And he just wants it to be under the blood and in the sea of forgetfulness as fast as possible so he can go back to loving you and fellowshipping with you and living life and having fellowship and and doing wonderful things together. So, you know, uh, it's not my message tonight, but if if you're slow to let go, Slow to let yourself off the hook. I'm not talking about you don't repent, you don't take responsibility. I'm talking about you confess it, you've appropriated forgiveness, the blood of Jesus has cleansed you, but you just feel like you need to be punished some more. So you just beat yourself up and carry some guilt around. That's all wasted breath and wasted time. Let yourself off the hook and get back into fellowship with God. So he said, I have blotted out your transgressions for, your own, for my own sake. Now notice this, having done that, you could say, verse 26, put me in remembrance. Let us, notice the word us there. Let us plead together. Declare thou, or it means you declare that you may be justified. Now, the God's Word translation says, I alone am He who is going to wipe away your rebellious actions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins anymore. Hallelujah. Listen, whatever you did in the past, forget it. It's not an issue for God anymore. Forget it. Let it go. Flush it. Delete it. Amen. Move on. Go forward. I will not remember your sins anymore. Then he says, remind me of what happened. Now I'm going to expound on that. Remind me of what happened. Let us argue our case together. State your case so that you can prove you are right. Now, you have to understand, this isn't, you can say, but I'm not right, I'm not right, I've done everything wrong. No, he already took care of that, and he's forgotten that, so that's not the issue here. Sin has been dealt with. Sin has been put away. You're now standing in the presence of God as if sin had never been. Sin is no issue. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Now he's saying, with that With that understanding and in that position, you and I, sin is no more. Now I want you to come and I want you to argue your case to me. I want you to remind me. Remember the King James says, put me in remembrance. Put him in remembrance of what? His word. That's right, sweetie. His word, his covenant promises. He's saying, tell me 
what I already said. I want you to tell me what, bring back to my hearing what I promised. Plead your case. State your case. Let's do this together. You got to see the inference here is we're going to get some things done. We're going to get some things accomplished. I want you to come before me and I want you to state your case. And some of you, again, if you're, if you're not established in righteousness, the only case you're rooted in is your own guilt. Amen. You know, in my studying after Brother Hagin, what a blessing he has been. He says one of the greatest hindrances to someone's faith is that they're not rooted in who they are in Christ. They're robbed of their confidence because of their own sense of unworthiness and their own sense of self-condemnation. And so they're e- Satan goes, remember that. Yeah, because they're not rooted in what Jesus has done. They're not rooted in the knowledge. They haven't decided to, by faith, take their place as a forgiven, redeemed believer who has had accounted to them, accredited to them, the very righteousness of Jesus to their account. Amen. I tell you what, your prayer life will so change when you realize that when you step in there, the person he sees is Jesus. Amen. And uh, so, praise God, this area of prayer that I'm talking about is that I'm going to just call pleading your case is a form and a vital part of what intercession is. Amen. Because we are not only invited to come and plead a case for ourselves. But we can come and plead the case of another. Amen. Now, I just want to mention it, but I I believe in my understanding of hearing this over and over, that really Brother Russell is here and has been a child of God for all these years because Mama (laughs) pled her case to God. Is that right? And correct me if I'm wrong, but this had an issue of disobedience with tithing a long time ago. Is that right? And you wanted your boy right, God to intervene, make your boy right, but you weren't obeying God in tithing, and God called you out in a service. Amen. And and you made a deal with God, you're going to get that fixed and corrected. And based on that, your expectation was that God was going to get a hold of him. And here he is. Will God make a deal? God will make a deal. This verse is saying, come before me, Austin, let's make a deal. Right. Now, if you've heard, if you've had the chance to hear Dr. Jacobs talk about his testimony, uh, he was born to uh, uh, a mother who was, uh, you know, church going, you know, born again, but had fallen away from the church habit. And uh, when he was born, very quickly, the mom discovered something was not right with um, Michael's legs. They weren't right. And so she took him to the doctor, took him to the hospital, and they had him examined, and he had rickets. 
And if you go into doctor, you, you probably won't ever have a chance, but I have I've gone into Dr. Jacob's office and he's got, they put little braces on his legs like Forrest Gump, run, Forrest run, right? Remember? And uh, he had to have them on uh, 24 hours a day. He had sleep in them. It, the only time he could take them off was to take a bath. And they said, but even this, this will kind of, but he's, he's never going to be right. Eventually he'll be in a wheelchair. He's just never going to be right. And uh, she went back to the doctor again and again, said, Doc, there's just nothing you can do for my boy. Nothing. And the doctor said, well, you know, not really. I mean, I could break his legs and reset them. And she's like, I'm not going to let you break his bones, break his legs. So she went home from after that appointment desperate. And to hear Dr. Tell, it's very moving. And uh, he said uh, that his mom told him later she fell against the kitchen refrigerator and slid down in a heap on the floor and in tears cried out to God and said, Oh God, if you'll heal my boy, I'll raise him in the church. Now, I don't know if it was weeks or a few months later, Dr. Jacobs was five years old, had those crutches, those things on, and a heavenly being appeared outside his window. Remember that story? And the being never said anything to him. He went and got his mama, and they both stood there outside the window, maybe 10, 20 feet, and there's this angelic being standing there, never said anything to him. They were struck dumb. They couldn't talk. <laughs> and they didn't say anything to each other, and eventually they just... Went back to bed. But right after that, he went back to bed. But after that, he's healed of rickets. And he still got those braces. He ran. He did track, played football, basketball, did all, did all the other things. See, my point is, she, she pled a case. She made a deal with God. Amen. And God kept his end of that bargain. And so did she. She raised him in the church. Aren't you glad we have him today as a man of God and as a spiritual father and as a prophet because mama made a deal. So are you, are you learning anything? You're kind of seeing something. This is, this is a form of prayer where God is saying, I want you to do this. I don't want you to come with a sense of sin or inferiority. I want you to come equipped and empowered with the knowledge of what I have said and what I have promised. And if you'll, if you'll hold me to it and plead your case to me, I will bring it to pass. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, I remember a time uh, where it was one of the most pressure-packed seasons of my life in building this building. It was around that time, honey, at the Kevil property that I was walking down the long hallway and I screamed out, I quit. And, uh, and uh, Amber's washing the dishes. She goes, no, you don't. <laughs> kind of infuriated me there for a minute, but it was actually those words helped me. <laughs> and uh, but it was around in that same time. I really was. I, if I could find a way to quit and do something else, I, I, was, I was hunting it. I was a hound dog. I was looking for a way out of this thing. Because I was under pressure, man. And uh, God broke in on me. Say, He said, son, if you don't quit, if you'll go all the way, I'll give you a big work. 
That's what he said. I'll give you big work. I probably need to add that to my prophecy book because it's not in there. I'll give you a big work. Meaning I'll give you a bigger ministry. Amen. We'll see. Is God, is God on this side saying, I'll make you a deal? Right. I know you're under pressure. I know this isn't fun. But if, I tell you what, if you'll stay with it, I'll give you a big, I'll give you a big work. Amen. We'll see this thing goes, goes both ways. Hallelujah. And uh, let me give you a, um, go to Exodus with me. Y'all okay? All right, praise. I like this stuff. Exodus 32. So parents, don't forget, you could plead your case for your children. There's all kinds of promises in here that, you know, uh, that the one, the parent that is faithful to God, their seed will be mighty in the earth. And I've been faithful to God and I'm not giving my kids up to the devil. They don't have a choice about it. I'm not making them, but the devil's not going to get them. Amen. Amen. If they start going the wrong direction, I'm going to bark up God's tree and remind him that I, I left my home. I left my family. I came to Paducah. I did what you told me to do. I'm serving you best I know how. And my children are acting crazy. And I'm, tell, I'm asking you to fix that. And I'm expecting you to fix that. Would you pray like that? I would. Amen. And this is what this is what's kind of a blowout kind of discovery for us all when we when we figure this out. The bolder we are, the more God likes it. He's like, oh yeah. Yeah, you think about it, if you were an earthly king, and I mean you were a king, and I mean you had vast lands and vast resources and vast armies. And someone came before you and they did a little show or a little entertainment gig and you got all inspired as king and you said, Woo, I'm telling you what, I'm going to give you. It is your blessed day. Uh, you ask me whatever you want. Praise God, I'm going to give it to you. And they asked for a $25 Starbucks gift card or something. You'd wonder what's wrong with that person, right? And they dishonored the king. Because they didn't ask as big as the king is. So come on, the bolder we are and the bigger we ask. I'm not talking about in an arrogant way, but I'm talking about, I know what you said, Father. You remember my healing testimony? I had that serious issue with my leg and I was on narcotics and on crutches. It was really kind of getting serious. The doctors were trying to help me, trying to figure out what was wrong. Couldn't figure out what was wrong, but I'd been feeding my faith. Remember that? You remember how the day I, re- I actually, faith came up, boom, out of me because I'd been putting it in me. And I just swung my leg across the floor, got up on the edge of my bed, said, Father, here's what you're going to do. If you didn't want me to expect you to heal me right now, you should not have written it down where I could read it. That's what, I, that's what came out of my mouth. And the person on the inside wanted to go, <laughs> might not want to talk to God like that, but I did. And I said, here's what you're going to do. I'm not taking these pills today and I'm not taking my crutches and I am going to get in my truck and we're going to go buy this horse or go look at this horse and you're going to heal me. That's, what, that's just the way it is. And I got up and took a step in pain and I took another step in less pain. And by the time I got to the fourth step, all that pain was gone. And I've been healed ever since. Not never came back. Praise God. And in a sense, I'm not consciously following some steps, but see, I'd been feeding my faith and God wrote it down. And if he didn't want me to expect him to come through on what he wrote down, he shouldn't have written it down. 
You know what he wrote down? He wrote down, I will supply all your needs. You ought to not. I mean, I tell you what, if you are experiencing chronic unmet needs and you're not wearing God out with that scripture, I don't know what you're doing. Now, he may say to you, you don't qualify. And if he does, don't run off in offense. You might want to stick around and say, I don't. No, you don't. Well, what do I need to do to qualify? I'm glad you asked. And he'll say, "Mm -mm -mm," and then you correct that. And see, but see, if you're walking in the light of all the qualifications, he has to. I'm telling you, he has to. And for you to know that and to remind him of that does not put him off. It's pleasing to him. I'm telling you, it's pleasing to him. Hallelujah. He does. He delights in it. Because someone took the time to find out. And remember, I I don't know if you were here when we taught the covenant series, that God is a covenant God. Everything God does is on the basis of covenant. Everything. And for you to come to Him making a covenant demand is, is is why He set the whole thing up. It just, bless you, it just delights him to do that. So look, look here quickly because we can't go too much further. Uh, Exodus 32, and uh, pick it up with me in verse number 7. And uh, this is where the children of Israel had just gotten caught um, with the golden calf incident. And Moses, their leader, has been up on the mount with God for 40 days. He's unaware of what's happening down there. So in verse 7 it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down for your people. Notice God says for your people. Now they're Moses' people. (laughs) If I was Moses, I would have said, They ain't my people. They ain't your people. What is this? They're my people. Notice when they're acting up, God says, Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. You, you parents, married parents, you know, when my kids do something bad, I'll say, honey, your son, ain't my son, it's your son, your daughter, I'll tell you what she did. But when he wins the last minute shot, you know, oh, that's my son right there. <laughs> and the Lord said to Moses, go get thee down for your people, which you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it. And they have sacrificed unto it. And, uh, and they have said, These be your gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them. And I will consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. What's he saying? I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to get a DNA sample from you, and we're going to start over. Now you think about, think about what we're talking about, intercession. We're talking about bringing a supply. We're talking about turning things. We're talking about pleading a case to God. And Moses besought the Lord. 
his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath wax hot against thy people? <laughs> did, did Moses just have the gumption to turn that back on the... Because, you know, if I was Moses, I'm thinking, I was a happy shepherd when you showed up and gave me this assignment. On the backside of Midian, living a good life. Minding my own business when you got me involved with this. <laughs> Thy people, which you have brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore, should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he, God, bring them out, to slay them or kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and repent of this evil against your people. Did, God, did Moses tell God he needs to rethink this and change his mind? And not do something evil? Not do something bad? I wonder what he was feeling on the inside. Remember, now notice verse 13. What he does next. Remember, what it, link that with Isaiah 43. What did God say? Put me in remembrance. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Jacob, thy servants, to whom you swore, God, you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which He thought to do unto His people. Now that's profound. That is profound. That is called pleading your case. That is called putting God in remembrance of something He said. Now it begs the question, what would have happened to those Israelites had Moses not prayed? We don't have to wonder, it's not conjecture. You can write this reference down. In Psalm 106, Psalm 106, verse 23, the Bible says, Therefore he said that he would destroy them, destroy them, had not Moses chosen. Uh, his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he should destroy them. So the Bible tells us unequivocally that God would have destroyed that generation of people had Moses not stood before the Lord and stood in the breach in intercession and pled their case to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. And uh, so, amen. We, um, there are quickly, I'm going to close. There are two applications, I believe. There, there may be more, but there are two primary applications in which this kind of intercession is appropriate. Number one, faith unto blessing. Faith unto blessing. You're, you're pleading a case before God in faith for a blessing. It's all positive. But number two, sin under judgment. 
See, here's the, the, and that fits what we just read. It, Israel sinned. And they were facing impending judgment. But intercession was made. So see, it's appropriate. You can turn. Was that situation turned? That situation was turned. Now, they didn't get off scot-free. There was punishment. There was punishment. But at least their lives, most of their lives were preserved. Their posterity was preserved because of that intercession. You know, one of the things that tells us is our intercession might not, um, you know, shelter whoever we're praying for from all negative consequences. Right? But who knows what would have happened had you not prayed. You know, maybe you're praying for someone and they're facing a court date. And, and don't leave there confused thinking they got three years. Well, they might have got 20 had you not prayed. Amen? Yeah. And uh, so you have to kind of keep those things. But back to my main point. So this kind of pleading your case, we can do it in faith unto blessing or in the instance of sin unto judgment. So let me give you an example real quick about how we do this uh, to faith unto blessing. And I want to go back to a story that Brother Hagen talked about back when he was pastoring. Uh, way back in the early days, he was pastoring a church, and one of his Sunday school superintendents, who was a farmer by trade, fell into his working combine. He fell from the cab into the combine. And was taken up dead. He was taken up for dead. They did rush him to the hospital, but they was, he was taken up for dead. Now, later on, because this man was brought back and, and lived, later on, Brother Hagen, Pastor Hagen at that time found out all the story about the superintendent. The superintendent, all he remembers, no pain, no suffering, the last thing he remembers was falling. Next thing he knows... He's seeing Jesus, and he's there in heaven. And he's looking around and looking for the administration line, and he's, he's glad to be there. You think, what a horrible event. But see, Jesus has tasted death for every man. Amen. So notice that even in a tragic accident, because Jesus in redemption has tasted death for every man, he didn't feel any of that pain. That was his testimony. I never, I never felt that getting chewed up in that combine. All I remember is falling, waking up, and there I am with Jesus. Hallelujah. But he's looking around. He doesn't care about it. Evidently, he's not thinking about his wife or children or nothing. He's like, "Woo, this is great. But Jesus says, I'm sorry, you can't come. And he gets all solemn. What do you mean I can't come? I'm born again. What do you mean I can't come? Listen to this. He said, Pastor Hagen won't let you come. You have to go back. Pastor Hagen won't let you come. He goes, what do you mean Pastor Hagen won't let me come? And he said, I'll show you. And in the spirit, he pulled back a curtain. And when he did that, they could both see down into the hospital on the earth. And there's Brother Hagen. And Brother Hagen was in prayer. And if you ever could get this online or wherever, you know, maybe Brother Scott or somebody knows where you could get this story. Uh, he's walking the hospital chapel going, now, Father, I need him. And if I need him, you need him. 
He's one of my best men as my Sunday school superintendent. And he's one of my, my best tithers in the church. And I need him. And if I need him, then you need him. And I'm not going to let him die. So I, I command his body, his body to live and his spirit to come back. I, I'm just not going to let him die. What's he doing? Pleading his case. He's making an argument why God's going to have to heal him. Really raise him up from the dead. I'm not going to let him die because I need him. And by, by the way, I know in your word, he's too young to die. He's only such and such age. And you said by reason, you know, that you'd get a man's life is 70 years by reason of strength, 80 years or more. And he's not that. So you can, you got to, he, I'm not going to let him die. You're, and he just praying like that. Now notice in heaven, you get the insight because of the testimony, because he did come back. We have the testimony of what Jesus said. Evidently wasn't up to Jesus. What did he tell the superintendent? You have to go back. Why? Not because Jesus said, it's not your time. Or I'm not going to permit it. He said, your pastor won't let you come. You have to go back. And so the next thing he knows, he's awake and conscious in the hospital and mad at Brother Hagen. <laughs> Why? See, the two perspectives between heaven and earth, we don't get, we, we would think, man, you just would want, there's no doubt you want to live. No, if you see heaven, you don't want to come back. What about your wife? Oh, she'll be here later. I'm telling you this is off track, but heaven is awesome. I've never seen it yet, but I'm just telling you, I have enough revelation and faith. Woo, praise God. It's, you don't want to miss that. Amen. And don't feel too bad or bad at all for people that have gone there. But do you see, from the natural standpoint, Brother Hagen used his faith to invoke God to bring a blessing. And he did that by pleading his case and making an argument that Jesus had to honor because he's covenant. It's not that Brother Hagin's more powerful than Jesus, but there's a covenant here. And there's a word that must be kept. And Brother Hagin's right. He did need him. And he is too young. And he is in faith. And I have to honor my word. So you'll get to come to heaven later. Sorry. You got to go back. Hallelujah. You know, Brother Hagin did that with his own wife. She, she developed a goiter. And I don't even know, a goiter, I guess, is some sort of internal tumor around your neck and throat area. And it can be very, is it thyroid deal? Is that what that is? Okay. And, um, but she, uh, Miss Aretha had developed one of those. And it had just grown and grown and grown. And she'd gotten to where she could, it was closing off her windpipe where she could barely breathe. And they didn't talk about it. They, they both knew by the witness of the Spirit that if she had surgery for that, she'd die. They just knew that by the witness of the Spirit. So they just, they just put them in a difficult spot and, and they just didn't talk about it as husband and wife. It's just kind of a taboo issue. But then one night he said, I don't know if he's in the chapel or he got up or whatever, but he began to talk to God. He said, no, God, listen, let me keep my wife. I'm asking you to let me keep my wife. Listen to his prayer. He said, I got her trained. 
she suits me. We flow well together in the ministry. He, he said, God, I, got two, I have two small killed children. If she dies, I'm going to, have to, I'm going to get married again. I mean, I'm gonna, I don't want to go through all that again. I don't want to have to retrain another one. I don't want to have to retrain another And And I'm just, I'm asking you, you, I'm asking you to let me keep my wife. I'm just asking you. Well, he didn't hear anything right then. But in another moment, not too far off in the distance, if my memory serves me right, he's in prayer and he gets in the spirit and he has a vision. He sees Jesus. And you can read about this. I think we have that copy in the bookstore of I Believe in Visions. Jesus personally appeared to Brother Hagin, I think, seven or eight times and talked to him about different subjects for over an hour, Some, sometimes three hours at a time. It's back in that book where he recounts that. And this story is in there, I think. And so anyway, uh, praise God. Where was it? Hallelujah. Yeah, he's... He's t- oh yeah, now he's in prayer and he's having this vision and Jesus comes and now he sees Jesus in this vision and Jesus says, I've come to talk to you. I've come to answer your prayer. He's like, well, which one? I've come to talk to you about your wife. Now don't let this confuse you, but this is what Brother Hagin said that Jesus told him. He said, uh, you know, your witness was right about that surgery. It was divine destiny that if she'd had that surgery, she would die. Now that doesn't mean divine destiny does not mean I willed it for her to die early by disease. My interpretation of that, and I'm not perfect, but my interpretation of that, it's divine destiny, meaning under the normal course of events, had you not prayed and intervened, turned that situation, this is what would have unfolded. She did either eventually died because of it not being treated, or she'd have died during the surgery. That was what naturally was going to progress and happen. So he said to him, it was divine destiny that your wife died and come home. But because you asked me, because you asked me, and he said, I so long to do for my children if they would just ask me. I so long to do wonderful things for my children if they would just ask me. And he said, because you asked me, you tell her to have the surgery she'll live and not die. And that was, that was the end of that vision. And this was the first conversation I understand that he had with her about this. And, and she brought him, she goes, well, I just knew had I had the surgery, I was going to die. I didn't want to talk to you about it because I just knew I was going to die. <laughs> And he said, well, I had the same witness, sweetheart, but Jesus told me. You want to talk about faith on her part. Based on an experience he had with God, she's having a surgery. And she had the surgery and she lived and outlived him by several years. Eventually in life, she she outlived him. Now you think about that. He pled a simple, heartfelt, sincere case to the Lord about, I like my wife, I don't want a different wife, and I'm asked, I, you know, he talked about, I didn't tell you this, he talked about, you asked me to go out on the road, I left my church, it was uncomfortable for me, I had a great church, I had a comfortable parsonage, we were making, I was with, I was with my wife and children, I had time to fellowship, and you asked me to go out on the road, and I did, and I paid that price, and I've been away, but I'm asking you, and she lived. 
So I'm just, or you get, I believe you're getting this, that this is something that you need to be aware of. And should the circumstance ever arise, you need to be ready to make your case. This goes back to what I said during the offering time. You need to be faithful. Because the more faithful you are, the better case you have. I have a little bit of a case, not perfect, but I say, Father, I was going to go into medicine and be a big wig and wear a white coat and have money. And you called me to the ministry and I went. Then you called me to Paducah and I didn't even know where that was. And I went. You asked me to build this building. Man, that was hard, but we did it. And we, right? I tell you what, I'm going to make my case. But even when your kids, your family members, whatever, maybe they're going the wrong way. Amen. Maybe they're doing the wrong thing. But you could plead your case. Amen. But this form of prayer requires you to have knowledge of the covenant. You know a lawyer that goes before the judge? A good lawyer that's going to make a great case? He knows the law. Doesn't he? He's not going to go some fly off the handle and make some sort of case and contradict the case law and the precedent and be ignorant. He, that case is going to get thrown out. Yeah. But when the lawyer comes in and he knows the law. Yeah. So if the judge has got some integrity and a just judge, it doesn't matter what the judge feels like doing that day or doesn't feel like doing that day. If he makes the right case in front of the judge based on the law, the judge must act in accordance with what's written. Amen. Did you learn anything tonight? Yes. Hallelujah. I thought that was good. I had a good time. That was, thank you, Father, for that utterance. Amen. And uh, praise God. This is just, I've been doing this thing, going to church, reading my Bible, la, 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 all these years, and it still just thrills me. Amen. To learn these things and to know that God is eager for us. To make our case to Him and to plead our case before Him because all the promises of God are what? Yes, yes and amen. Why don't you stand up and give God praise for that? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.